Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Holla Back. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. My next guest, Jennifer Loudon, is a personal growth pioneer who helped launch the concept of self-care with her first bestseller, The Women's Comfort Book. Since then, she's written seven additional books on well-being and whole living, including The Women's Retreat Book and The Life Organizer. Jennifer has spoken around the world, and she's written a national magazine column for Martha Stewart. She's been profiled or quoted in dozens of major magazines, two of Brene Brown's books, Daring Greatly and Dare to Lead, and she's appeared on hundreds of TV, radio shows, podcasts, and even on Oprah. Her newest and most personal book, Why Bother? Discover the Desire for What's Next, teaches us how to rediscover desire, and I am so excited to have her. Welcome, Jennifer Loudon. You're in my heart. Oh, my pleasure to be here on a very sunny day, and everything feels sunnier when it's sunny outside. Oh, isn't that great? Okay, well, it's raining here, so I'm bringing your sunshine sunshine is coming in my window. I love it. Welcome. I am so excited to have you. Okay, so I got a lady, one of the personal growth pioneers. Just a way to say I'm old in a cool (laughs) way. Who's old and wise, who literally helped launch the concept of self-care. Okay, so we clearly all need you because it's one of the best-selling categories, one of the biggest growing categories in book sales, and it continues to just snowball and morph and roll, and thank God for that. (laughs) True, true, because when I started out, that book was, my first book was published in 1992. And when I started out and I would do seminars and talks and workshops and such, people would say, oh, well, I'll take care of myself. I do my nails. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I'd be like, well, maybe we're gone. Maybe there's something more going on we can do here. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so how do you feel? Because you really had to break through a lot of barriers talking about things like how we feel inside and our voices and what it says. And now we're at this place where mental health is a real topic of conversation that's like, hello, 
we're here and we're proud. This is, <laughs> you know what I mean? Something that we have to look at, like we look at so many other things and it shouldn't be shameful or something that we have to hide. How, how does that feel for you? Oh, it feels amazing. I mean, I go on Instagram and I see these people, therapists, I think of a few different therapists that come to mind who have made this huge public mission of showing up and talking about mental health. We see celebrities doing it, grief. We we saw the famous interview with Oprah and the Megan and Harry. Yes. I, I think it's extraordinary. And, and and there's a part of me, and, and and this is the same part of me. I've been a climate activist since I was in high school. And there's a part of me that's like so happy that it's happening, just like the climate is finally being talked about everywhere all the time. And there's another part of me that just weeps. How did it take so long? Mm. All of this. I mean, the climate we needed to talk about, yes, in the 70s, starting in the 70s. And of course, a few people were. And then mental health we needed to be talking about for the last, you know, let's just say forever. But so there's a part of me that's happy and a part of me that's sad. Well, you know, I wasn't going to start with the sad part, but I do have a question to ask and it's a perfect uh, segue to it is we're going to get into tips on self-care and all of your knowledge and all of your wisdom. I'm so excited to get into that. But what about when it's the world and not you? You know, like you said, you feel like like global warming and some of the things that are happening in this world, like white supremacy and seeing as much as we're seeing mental health, we're seeing true inequalities and inequities, you know, among the race that cannot be denied. And, and we're in a, a pandemic where, yeah, we have zero control. We can't even really get the vaccines that they're telling us keep coming. So it's not easy. So what happens when it's the world and not you? Well, it's always been the world. And in fact, I think that's something that our generation, maybe starting with my generation, I'm 58, maybe social media has, has increased this where we can forget that it's, this is what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And I think personal responsibility has been, is a wonderful thing. And, and radical responsibility is a wonderful thing, but it crosses over into self-blame if we can't change whatever it is, white supremacy, for me, climate crisis, immediately in, a, in an amazing way. And, oh, can I get some attention for it and be cool while I'm doing it? I mean, I hate to say that, but there's a part of me that's in there that wants to be like, yeah, yeah, see, go, see, me, right? see me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first thing we have to do is not internalize that we are not making the changes we want to see in the world happen as fast as we want. Change has never happened that way. History is told through the lens of a Martin Luther King Jr., a Rosa Parks, a Greta Thunberg. But Greta herself will tell you, as would Martin Luther King Jr., as would Rosa Parks, I was part of, I am part of a huge network. Mm -hmm. I'm part of, in that case, in the civil rights, it was the churches. Yeah. In, in, the case, in the case of Greta, there are so many young climate activists. Now yeah. we have the Sunrise Movement. And so we have to see ourselves as part of something larger. And we have to be willing to know that change happens in its glacial until it's not. And what our brains do is focus on, but, but, but look what just happened. They stopped the, the, they finally stopped the pipeline. And then somehow we turn that against ourselves. 
Right. Instead of, okay, what am I doing this way? Like for a while, what my, my job, my job on my list every day was show up. What can I do about the climate crisis today? And maybe some mm-hmm. days it was sign a stupid petition, mm-hmm. read two articles. I'm about to launch a cl- uh, create plus climate to try to get creatives it juiced and inspired to use their voice as creatives, coaches that, you know, everybody, you know, does that feel like enough? No, it never feels like enough. It's just a parenting. You don't feel like you're doing enough. Right. Right. But we have to, and this is what you've been genius at helping us realize is that we have to be kind to ourselves. We have to realize that we're not superpowers and we're not, you know, super women and super people. And that, yeah, life is hard. <laughs> you know, and, the, the joy we, comes from the struggle, right? And the joy comes from doing it with other people. I think the joy comes from um, really being of service. And I think the joy comes, and I've been saying this for so many years, we have to be turned on by what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that we get swept up in stuff that's coming through the news. And it doesn't mean we can't have a voice, but that might not be our thing. Like when, when um, Donald Trump was elected, we all got together and, you know, we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And a friend of mine was like, I'm going to teach English to people who can't speak or read English in our community. And five years later, she's still doing it. Right. Four and a half years later, whatever it is. Right. And she's just like, that's what I'm going to do. That's where my sweet spot is. She shows up twice a week and has consistently. And it doesn't mean she hasn't done other things too, but that's, she just, you know, so we also have to make a human scale. Yes. Right. Exactly. We have to quit trying to do what we think we're supposed to do and really start listen to our voices inside mm-hmm. because each and everything that we do lends to a greater network. Like you said, a greater cause, it has to be holding hands through many different connectivities. It kind does. Like, if we try to know, do it alone degrees. or make it about us, right? it's really depleting. Or if we do it out of a martyrdom, you know, or a should or performative activism. <laughs> Well, it's very comforting when you say it that way, when you remind us that we are in this together and it's we not are. so insular, you know, we really are now. Is it, um, is it human conditioning? Like, what is it that makes us blame ourselves? What is it that makes us feel alone? What, what is it? Well, I, as far as I know, the brain science, nobody knows. Mm. We are equally wired for self-kindness and self-compassion, but it seems that we have to bring those online with more practice than we do um, self-blame, self-loathing, <laughs> self-hatred. And one theory that I read, I don't remember by whom, is because that helped us stay part of the tribe. So like, you know, we're like, oh, let me, you know, do something for you because you brought the meat back into the cave. Right. <laughs> Versus like, <laughs> let me sit over here in the corner and be like, I am so cool. And <laughs> I love myself so much. So maybe there's some evolution conditioning there, but I don't know that anyone really knows why we have to work to be self-compassionate. And- well, I think also there are different types of people, right? There are leaders and there are followers and you know what I mean? There are goat and there are sheep and, you know, sheep don't, you know, run with lion. This is what a Beyonce song, snake don't swing with monkey, right? <laughs> they both swing, but they're just so different. So, and I think sometimes like likeness and, and understanding that we are one is important, but also accepting and, and looking at the differences and embracing them. And that really is truly the network. 
it's, I mean, this is the journey of being an adult, right? And you start to hopefully get it by your fifties. She said to herself some days, <laughs> what is your, what is your way of being in the world? What is your essence? I mean, I'm always working to accept that more about myself. You know, I'm playful. I'm goofy yeah. for early in my career. I was like, I've got to be serious. I mean, I used to buy suits for God's sakes. <laughs> I remember when I thought, okay, I have to have suits. And I went to Banana Republic and bought two really expensive suits and no kidding. I then wore one to a meeting in the pouring rain and ruined it. <laughs> no more suits. That's perfect. Those, they just don't fit. <laughs> they don't fit. I love when Brene Brown talked about, um, how she was invited to some big conference and they told her that she had to wear, you know, business casual or something. And she was like, so conflicted about it. And finally she wrote back and went, no, I wear my clogs. I, you know, I wear my jean skirt, yes. whatever it was. And, and, and I remember thinking, and I, I got to know Brene before she got famous. Yes. And I just remember, I loved reading that. It really stuck with me. Just these little examples and stories we can give each other. Yeah. What does it look like for you to embrace you? And then we can reflect on ourselves. Well, we're so used to conformity, right? And like doing what we're told and that's what we're supposed to do kind of, right? That's society. But where did this, the super ego come in and society became bumpers to our individuality? You I know, think that's what's always, accessible. That's, that's how we evolve. We evolve by fitting in. We didn't evolve by being outliers. Outliers died. Right, <laughs> outliers right. were, you know, I mean, that's still true. Rebels. For- billions of people in the world. If you're an outlier, it's not safe. I mean, think about how many cultures are repressive for women. And if you, you know, and think about the history of women and how many women died because they, they were a little bit different. I mean, it's yes. still, it still happens for women. Look at what happens to AOC every single day on, on Twitter. So yeah, being an outlier is still not safe. And there's a huge part of our brain that says, no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't go there. Mm-hmm. But then there's another piece of some people that have to listen to that. It's like a caged animal if you don't Mm -hmm. let them speak their mind and their truth. Yeah, but I'm sure you hear this in the people you interview, and I know I do for my podcast, over and over again, I hear this moment of, I was going to go this way, and that Mm -hmm. way was great, and that way was money or the deal or whatever, and I couldn't do it, and I knew I would die if I did. So I do think there are moments in our lives for everybody, but for a lot of us when that plays itself out. So let's back up a little. Let's talk about how this evolved for you. You know, you went to USC, you powered your way through some learning disabilities. You know, how did you find your way? What was your aha moment when you just knew that this is what you had to do? That's great. Yeah, that's actually a story in my last book, Why Bother, that I'm happy to tell, which is I always wanted to be creative. I was always the goofy creative kid. I didn't know I had learning disabilities until I was almost done with USC film school. I had to take a language. I had, and I um, was like, oh, no problem. I'll take the summer. I'll get tutored. I'll test out. I, I couldn't retain any of it. And my tutor was finally like, something's really the matter here. And so right. I went and got tested and they're like, we don't know what's wrong with your brain. It's weird. You have some weird brain stuff. We'll give you a pass on the language. <laughs> so wow. I have the label of dyslexia, but I don't think it is. I think it's auditory processing and things that we probably, you know, our kids would have been able to be diagnosed with properly. Right. Yeah. So I went to film school. I thought film school was going to be this creative fun. Oh my God. Yeah. You get to make movies. You get to be creative with creative people. And it was hard and a lot of shaming and run by five old men at the time. Very, very, very different now. 
And, but I got through and then I got out and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it as a screenwriter. I got an agent. I worked at CAA as a, a reader and I got more and more unhappy. And I think when I look back, I mean, hindsight is everything, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Isn't In the moment it? I was like, I had so many different stories about what was the matter with me, but I think at the hindsight, I just didn't know how to learn. I didn't mm-hmm. know the, about the growth mindset. Of course, nobody did then in mm-hmm. the 80s. And I didn't know how to be mentored. And I didn't have, I had mentors that weren't good mentors. Right. Me too. Yeah. So I finally just hit a wall. I was so depressed. I was drinking too much. I was totally stuck writing the same page over and over again in my screenplay. And I called a friend who I felt very competitive with, which is not a nice thing to do. Don't do this to yourself. (laughs) And I called a friend and said, I'm going to quit writing for a month. And it really felt to me, Heather, like I was going to die if I did this. I'm not exaggerating. My whole ego was like, you're going to die. And I had to do it. And she didn't care. And she was like, okay, whatever. And then I hung up the phone. I felt like I was falling through space. I felt, I don't know whether it was an out-of-body experience or I don't know. And right then I heard a voice as clearly as if you said it to me, say the woman's comfort book. And that eventually became my first bestseller about self-care. So it was an inner voice. It was a drive that said, and when you were in free fall, no less, mm-hmm. when you were feeling like that you had to challenge yourself with this and crazy thing that I was going to kill you. From, yeah, I think it, I, I be, don't know. I mean, my beliefs change all the time, but I feel like there's a, there's a cultural zeitgeist and, and, and it meets up with our own personal need to grow. So tell us what a zeitgeist is. Zeitgeist is the what's a really good definition for it? It's like, it's in the air. It's part of the, it's part of the culture. So far, I'll give you an example. I wrote the book, took me a couple of years, sold the book to uh, Harper. I was doing research and I called a publisher to get a quote or some kind of research. And unbeknownst to me, we hung up the phone and they all panicked because they were about to publish a book called the woman's book of comfort. Whoa. That's the zeitgeist. Yes, <laughs> and for it. me, the per- way it personally locked up with my journey and and continues to this day, almost 30 years later, is I didn't know how to take care of myself. Right. I had no idea. And that was a lot based on your upbringing, how you were raised, you know, what society showed us we were supposed to be as women, right? Is what, Did it come from that? No, or what it, did came it, come from, from? it came from driven. I'm driven and ambitious. So I, my, my story was and my inner dialogue before the book title came is, was very clearly my inner life would tell me lots of things to do to take care of myself. And I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I sell a screenplay for $400,000. So you weren't listening to yourself. You totally. were listening I was, to the no, I was listening, but just later. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> later. Well, I, I think that that's a point that we should all just reflect on for a second because It's always there, isn't it? It, You do push it away. You choose not to listen to the voice. You know, people are like, what what do you mean the inner voice? You know, it really is always there. But I think we try to cognitively answer the questions when it really swims in the subconscious, right? Can you enlighten us a little bit on that? Well, our working memory is really tiny. (laughs) Our working memory, I mean, everybody has different estimates, but maybe we can hold about three things at a time. Do you know how your uh, social security number is in three Yes. Three, three amounts of numbers, three chunks, they call it. That's so you can remember it because that's about as much as your working memory can hold at a time. So it was all one number. You'd never remember it. Oh, 
dropping the wisdom. I never knew that. <laughs> so our working memory um, is really tiny. And so, so much is coming into us and so much has come into us over our lifetime, but there's no way that we can recall it without some kind of practices that are going to bring it up. And then you have all of our defenses you know, which we can talk about in so many different ways and frameworks, but all of these things that are basically saying, don't look at that. That may cause you to feel something. Yes. That may cause you to have to have a difficult conversation. Oh no, no, run away. Let's go watch Shit's Creek. <laughs> yeah. Which is a great thing to do, but not because you're avoiding your true feelings and avoiding right. your true suffering. Right. We yeah. talked about that at the beginning. And I think people don't want to think about painful things. They but don't. It's, that's a huge reason why we have climate silence. It's why we don't talk about what's going on with our planet because it's too painful. We also are afraid that we're going to get it wrong. We're afraid we're going to get in a fight with someone. We're afraid we're not eco pure enough. We're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid. Yeah. You know, you. One of the things that you say is that you get sad. You know what I mean when you. Um, see women not creating what they want and that, you know, you're big on don't hide from yourself. And I akin that very much to like my nutrition background and looking at people in line and the choices that they make, you know what I mean? With like two, two diet Cokes in their hand and like, you know, a thing of ring dings or whatever. And like you must, so can we talk about that a little? Because it's a hard barrier to break when it comes to sugar addiction. How about up here when we're talking about pain, true yeah. pain, right? How do, you, how do you fix that? The thing that I always come back to that is like the least sexiest answer in the world is it's incremental practice. Yes. And we it, don't it's like painful. that. Right. We don't want, we want, I, I, and, and like, sign me up, man. I was just talking to my acupuncturist about this. <laughs> so I'm like, I feel a little bit better. She's like, that's great. I'm like, and there's this little voice in my head, but like, I want to feel 100% better. Right. 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 <laughs> I want it to be now instant gratification. Exactly. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. I don't want to wait. I don't want to go through 12 years of therapy. Right. I don't want to go through deep analysis, which is painful. And it's like, they let me down into this cave and only to help crank me up at the end, but not much more. Right. And I don't want to stay with the feelings that I'm having that I can get away from when I eat the ringdings. Right. I don't want to stay. Yeah. Stay with it and feel it. And even though we know maybe you only have to stay with it a couple of minutes. Yeah. And you can learn to tell yourself I'm safe. I'm safe. It's okay. Yes. Yes. To these feelings. And then they will move right? What is move, what we meet and greet moves, right? It doesn't stick. And what happens is it just all gets to be this big hairy ball in here because. So instead of avoidance, it can actually move into acceptance, right? Acceptance or learn, you know, learning. Like <laughs> I had a meditation teacher who said, you know, once you start to do this, you just start to do your inner work. It's like all your demons say, let me out of the basement. And he yeah. said, you can say to them, line up. Yeah, right on. Line up one at a time, but you can't then shut the door on the right. basement again and go, right. uh-uh, no, never mind. You Once you start, you have to stay with it. And I think the other thing we do is we don't get the therapist. We don't get the coach. We don't get the nutritionist. We don't, we don't get someone to walk with us because we think that it's weak. But, there, but fear is in the way. Fear is in the way of people living their dreams, you know, but how can I? I'm not good enough to blame the self-doubt. 
you know, the women's yeah. comfort book, it started there. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it moved on to, which you could talk about a little bit, like what the whole premise of that is for people who haven't read it. And then why bother is like, all right, so I did that work, but now I feel I'm like I'm here. It's like the mm-hmm. evolution of stuckness. It is also the reason why I wrote Why Bother is it is the evolution of living. I think why bother as a question, and you may not use those words. You may use the words you just used. It's too late. I'm too old. Who cares? I mean, I I hear every version of it. No one's going to pay attention. Nobody cares. You know, we all have our own way of languaging it, but it is built into being human. And the problem is we think we know the answer. And the answer is, no, there's no reason to bother. There's no reason. I'm, we don't genuinely ask the question, which is, what about this brings me alive? What about this is interesting? Like some of us really love to solve problems and puzzles. Like what is it about this puzzle that I want to bite my teeth into? Or what is it about these people that I really want to serve? Or what is it about the way that I really want to connect with my friends? And we don't pay attention to that. And that's where we get our energy and our juice to continue. And then if we want to turn it into a goal, if we want to turn it into a career, if we want to turn it into writing a book, Great. We have something fueling us that we can keep coming back to. But the whole thing about why bother is we fall into it. Things get this last year is a perfect example. We've been in collective why bother because so much was just taken from us in ways that don't work for our brains. You didn't know that your little routine was holding you together until the routine was taken from you. (laughs) Right. We don't realize how how contextual our lives are. So why bother is inevitable. Sometimes it comes from the outside, like the pandemic, someone you love dies, you get ill. Sometimes you get bored with what you're doing. You outgrow it. You need to reinvent it. And those are all normal things. They're normal. Exactly. But we don't normalize them. We think we pathologize them. And instead, I'm asking you in the book to go, hey, this is actually great. It sucks, but it's great. And then what you don't want to do, and this is why I wrote the book, is then go to let me make the plan. Because the plan that you make from the why bother place is too small for who you're going to become. Right. So let's talk about that because, you know, we've all heard that like, you know, don't, don't drink, dream small, dream big. And, you know, you say you can't dream big enough. Well, I would say that you have to, that when you're in the why bother place, and sometimes it's your whole life, sometimes it's work, a relationship, you know, it can be just a domain of your life. You have to rediscover desire. That's the subtitle. (laughs) Yes. You know, so what we don't give ourselves is time to rediscover desire. And there's two reasons. One is we need the energy of desire. We need a relationship with desire to, to fuel flow, to fuel courage. But we also need desire to calibrate what is really calling me. Right. We're not going to get it exactly. I'm not talking about some, oh, and then I'm going to, I'm called to, you know, lead trips up, you know, Mount Everest, and that will be my new thing, you know, but, but you're called to Mount Everest. Let's just stay there for a moment. Exactly. I think, um, there's overachievers, you know what I mean? Those that, that, that treadmill drive person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has Mm -hmm. to do with their own internal, you know, childhood or whatever need to be noticed, need to be seen, you know, all that. And we need to have empathy for ourselves as children and the things that didn't go our way and that we carry throughout Mm -hmm. our lives. Right. And I, I was always of the feeling more cognitive than subconscious that like, once I discovered something, once I put, did the work that it would go away. 
Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. I've had that too. Yes. Yeah. That I could fix it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But this chink in my armor, all I do is learn to live with it. I learn to tolerate it, it, right? And see see it, it. to welcome it, to intervene more quickly, to not believe the story. This is who you are or that you're bad because you did this thing again. So I'll give you a pattern of mine. My pattern is to overcomplicate my business and then exhaust myself and get to the edge of burnout. I cannot tell you how many times in the nearly 30 years I have been in business for myself that I have come to the realization that I need to stick to a couple of offers, make them over and over again, scale them in different ways and stop reinventing the wheel and throwing more in there. And yet, you know, so now I've come to the place where yesterday walking with my girlfriend, I can see that and just ditch the blame. And ditch right. the, because I'm here again, I suck and nothing will ever change. And instead just go, I'm here again. <laughs> okay. What could we try this time? Let's, let's try not to do the things we did before that didn't work. <laughs> let's try something different. And I know that my resistance to this is like, I have to work with who I am. At the yeah. same time, we have our patterns that keep our patterns don't have to determine our lives. Right. And I love that you look at it with humor instead of blame. Yeah. You know, it's and yeah. And I think that that's because you have to laugh at who you are. And, you know, um, my friend Tina Knoll says, you know, she finally reached a part in her, a point in her life where she truly showed up as herself in total comfort and unapologetically as herself. And, you know, my feeling is how do we help shape younger women to figure that out before we're 50 and 60 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. My daughter's 26. And I would say in some ways she does have it deeply in her. And I remember, I loved my mother very much. She is, is gone, but she was, uh, she was a narcissist and I would say like a lovely narcissist. (laughs) And, um, and she wanted to have my daughter be a certain way even from a very young age. And I refused and I refused to make my daughter do it. And and that's something I'm really proud of, even though they quickly grew apart. Once my daughter was past the, you know, cute toddler, you can put makeup on her and, you know, wash her hair and blow dry her face. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I would come to pick my daughter up and be like, what the actual. Um, So I think that's in her. I see her work. She works in pediatric mental health. I see her work with racism. You know, I see a a fierceness and a confidence. And I also see her totally struggle with her weight and when her skin breaks out. And, you know, those are big cultural messages. Yeah, they really are. And, you know, we, God, I was talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday. It's, um, our, I, his, my, my daughter's 13 and so is his. And, the outspokenness, how we get like yelled at, you know, all the time. They're they're so outspoken about right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's been such a huge shift where it was like the things that we didn't talk about. Like, you know, we didn't talk about, we were taught, don't talk about politics, religion. Right. You know what or I mean? And there was a third one. I can't remember. Right. Yeah. Or being race. a woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Windex, I call this the Windex era. Because we can see through the glass, there is yeah. no fogginess in it's the world. It's true. That we're more and in. more, and quicker and quicker. Where I think, and and I, I, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. I remember the first time I heard the word patriarchy. I was on a, a women's canoe trip 
in, I was 27 or 28. I had sold, no, I was, I had, I had had the idea for the woman's comfort book, but I wasn't, and I was writing it, but I didn't believe in it yet. And there's a story about this in the Why Bother book too. I just realized, and these women, these, I was by far the youngest woman on the trip and they were all radical feminists and they were like patriarchy this and patriarchy that. And I'm like, Whoa, what's that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now it's, you know, however, 30, whatever years later, it's like in the lexicon. That is so cool. I'm not that it wasn't in the feminist lexicon the well before that, sure. um, but you know, not for the, you know, little white country club girl I was. Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. It's, it's incredible, um, you know, how things have shifted and changed and so quickly and it is fascinating and, but it's furious to keep up with, you know what I mean? People Mm -hmm. are trying to do the right thing and they get confused because, you know, one thing was the right thing to say and now it's the wrong thing to say. And people are afraid of insulting everybody. You know, I mean, the days of blazing saddles are over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Archie Bunker and the, these, these things would never be tolerated anymore. And I, I mean, my daughter would uh, freak out if I showed her either of those two things that I mentioned, you know what I mean? And yeah, so I, think, in a, well, I think we're, because we're in time of change, pendulums always swing really far. And, yes. and I think the the thing that we're most metabolizing and we probably will be for, for who knows how long is white supremacy. And so everybody who's white, like you and I are like, I'm going to screw this up. I'm going to screw this up. And every guy is like, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to screw this up. My dad, my, my, excuse me, my husband and I got into this gigantic fight last year because I accused him of mansplaining. And in truth, he wasn't mansplaining. And I did apologize, but he was so furious for me at me for accusing him of that. So we're going to have moments like that. And yeah, and we just have to keep learning and not worrying about getting it wrong, but worry that we're not willing to keep looking and listening. Yeah, we just have to do better. We can't be worried about right doing it wrong. Like yeah. we have to just do better. Start well, to look at things. I think. I think depend. It just depends. I mean, I I was raised in a racist household. I was raised. Um, so I've been unpeeling this since I left home. Mm-hmm. you know, you just keep peeling layer after layer about how, like my story used to be, well, my dad was raised in poverty and he made a, a success out of himself. And it probably wasn't until, you know, eight years ago that I went, shit, he was a white man. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yes, he raised himself up and he had money. He borrowed $3,200 from his brother. Right. He had capital he could borrow and he might've worked 30 years to, to become successful, but he had two really important starts. Total so privilege. Did, yeah, total privilege. But it didn't look like the privilege that we of used to not. see. 
right? Exactly. We used to go, oh, well, he didn't inherit money or he didn't right. you know, go to Harvard or- It's systemic you know. opportunity, yeah, exactly. really. Exactly. So we're just yeah. peeling it away. We're seeing it. And we do have to have people, you know, that we're safe doing it with. My husband and I do this work together. He's doing it very much within his organization as part of their mission. So as white people, we just got to go away. We got to keep doing our work. And then we, when we're in spaces or more in leadership spaces or whatever, we have to be the ones who are willing to listen. And this is the thing too, is people don't know what to do. Yeah. They really don't know what to do. I mean, I, I run into this in nutrition all the time. Mm-hmm. People think they're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but they can't afford organic food or they have mm-hmm. no idea they're eating grilled chicken and salad and it's full of pesticides and pumped with hormones and they can't understand why they can't lose the five pounds they want to lose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like people really are confused. There's a mm-hmm. lot of messages coming at people. And I think that's why they say, why bother? It is true. Overwhelm and bad information and not knowing where to good, get good information. But the thing that I would say is then here's, here's a way to think about it. What are the things that you're saying? Why bother about write them down, like hit pause right now and write them down. Are you saying why bother to change my diet? Because the information is just going to change and the science is going to change. Oh, FYI, that's how science works. (laughs) Science keeps growing. Yeah. It's ever changing because that's the nature of science. We're trying to prove, uh, actually trying to disprove. So what are the things you're saying why bother about? Is it about your creativity? Is it about your writing? Is it about your nutrition? Is it about the climate? Like face into that and then ask yourself, what is it that I'm really desiring here? Mm. And do I really want it? Do I really want it? Period. I love that because you do actually have to do the work that if you're good, nothing good comes easy. We all know that. And if you just stay in that- you're, you're asking the question, why bother? And you're answering it often. I will say in a very cynical way, people are doing it there, especially when it comes to big issues like racism, the climate, food, how we take care of our bodies. Yeah. We want it to be easy. We want someone to spoon feed it to us. There's nothing wrong with that. Our brains want to save resources, mm-hmm. but we, to excel, to get better, we have to do hard things. A little bit every day. So yes. if that thing is, okay, I'm going to research how can I get organic chicken <laughs> cheaper, yeah. that's the hard thing you'll do today. If you're going to research what is it like uh, to uh, raise my voice to break climate silence, you know, Google climate silence today. Have a conversation with someone, an uncomfortable conversation with someone today. I always akin it to mountain climbing. You know what I mean? It's it's one's foot at a time. Yeah, and, the best know, running advice I ever got is stay with your feet. Yeah, stay with your feet. Exactly. And, you know, it leads to amazing places. So dream big, but you've got to make a plan, right? So you you point out making a plan and you also point out with your coaching, you know, finding community, right? Because you want to mm-hmm. run with your tribe. So talk to us a little bit about where do we go once we decide that we're listening to ourselves and we decide that we're going to just do one thing. Just I, That's what I say to people with food. Just, just, just do one thing. What's the one thing you can do? We change scares us. It presses up against our emotional immune system. And our emotional immune system is just like our physical immune system. It's there to keep us safe. We'll always have it. We need it. 
you need it when you get in the elevator and it feels weird with the, you know, the guy in the elevator and you're like, I'm getting out of the elevator. It, you know, when you're in a meeting and you're like, okay, this is not going the way it should. I need to listen to this. We need it. But our emotional immune system is also tailored to keep us from taking risks that it thinks that our emotional immune system equates with death not physical death, but emotional death. So humiliation, failure, et cetera. So when we start to ask, what do I really want? And these things start to come up, then we have to make it just a really small steps that are a little bit harder every day. Yeah. We have to normalize the discomfort. And usually then the, the people we can reach out to, I mean, they can be so many things. Maybe there are people you follow on Instagram, you know, maybe there's a podcast like this. Maybe there's, maybe there's a therapist. Maybe there's a really good friend. You know, we don't need a million things, but we do need to surround ourselves with voices that understand that wanting and going for our desires and taking action on our desires, both for ourselves and for the world, isn't easy. And we need that reflected back to us. Right. I think that also sometimes we have to, expect that we're not going to get reflected back that what we want people to, to tell us, right. We're, we're, we, you know, you got to accept that, you know, maybe someone's not ready to meet you at that point. Or oh, yeah. you know, if you're I taking mean, something away from someone you've been doing for them, like if you've been taking care of everybody else and you start to take back your time, they're going to give you so much pushback. Yes. <laughs> you've been, you've been making their dinners, you've been wiping their butts, you've been, you know, listening to their problems for two hours a day. And then you're like, no, sorry, I can't do that. You think they're going to like it? No. We look for the wrong, we, if we've been given and given and given that human giving, like, ah, oh, if I give and give and give and give, then finally I will get time for myself. I'm going to tell you that you're never going to give enough. Never, <laughs> ever. I know. I learned that recently in therapy and it was so great that like, you know, I've got the, you know, my therapist is so great. He's like, you got the big smile and you dash into the room and you expect everyone's going to give you back that same energy that you bring. Mm-hmm. Nope. And they're not. Yeah. So does, does that mean you should show up in the room? Glum, not with a smile on, right? It's pretty yeah. simple when you say that to you. So don't do it to, you know, to get it back and, you know, don't try to find happiness in other people. These are things that are, we hear all the time. And they sound, yeah, simple enough, but they're not. They're hard. They're not simple because when you go into that room and everybody's glum, it actually affects your brain chemistry and it affects your, your neurochemistry, your whole body, your whole nervous system, including the neurons in your heart, so that you do, you are influenced by other people. You do need connection to other people. We have this weird story in the West about being independent. We are not independent. We need to be seen. We right. need to be supported. We need to be connected. If there's one thing out of longevity research that keeps showing up, it's connection, community, friendship. Yeah. They yeah. cannot figure out diet. They can't say, yes, drink red wine. No, drink red. Don't drink red wine. Right. But they can figure out connection. That's right. But Everything else are, is a theory. This everything is else, true science. Yeah. The only thing yeah. that seems to come across in all the studies is connection. Have you ever heard or seen an exercise? Study of, yes. An exercise. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, have you ever seen the study about the babies where the babies that um, there's it's on YouTube and they have uh, little infants and the, the, the um, adult comes around and is smiling and, and the infant of course reacts, you know, mm -hmm. they're babies. And then they come back and they turn their back on the baby and they don't interact on the baby and the baby collapses onto the, 
Yeah, onto that's us. That's still it, us. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So I, I'm so sad that it's all, I'm so good at keeping time that I could talk to you for days and weeks on end. I am so <laughs> excited by this conversation and everything that you bring. I have to just say that. Um, just Thank you. Dying. Um, we need this so bad. We need this. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you close to 1 million books and copy you have on shelves in nine languages. You have Miss Jennifer Loudon. We obviously need your help. <laughs> Renee Brown thinks so. Oprah Winfrey thinks so. <laughs> right. And I mean, I, I don't even get to talk about the Oprah Winfrey thing and how you, this highlight of your life became, you know, a crashing moment of self-realization too, but you dug yourself out and here you are today. And I'm going to have to, you know, move on from that, but like, and you have a second marriage. So the I first, do. you know what I'm saying? Like there yeah. is like it change is hard and it's difficult, but when you get to the other side of that suffering, when you get to the summit, it's worth the damn journey. So you got to take your kicks, right? Well, and you take your have, uppercuts and you've got to have the practices, the incremental practices. So when you're in it, so back to the, the, pra- the practice for me right now is I'm in that being called again to, to simplify my business. And like, I can tell you, even every time I say it, my whole heart goes, no, 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 no. And I'm like, but what you want is on the other side and you want more time to play. Yeah. And if you keep reinventing the wheel and working all the time and another eight hours at this desk week after week, it's going to be ugly. Right. You're and honest you, with yourself. You laugh yeah. at it and you try to figure out new tips to move on and you don't aren't right. so tough on yourself that you found yourself there exactly. again exactly. because it's who you are. It's a part of who you are. The change of season is always a good time to start a new routine or turn over a new leaf. And I want you to care about the skin you're in and for Big Blue too. The essence of good skin, you know, it's steeped in nature. Combine that with top chemists and state-of-the-art labs and look no further than emergency. They are revolutionary in advanced skincare that incorporates clinically proven cosmeceutical and medical-grade ingredients, active botanicals, and marine extracts straight from Mother Nature. It's the way I keep the best of me emerging, and you can too. There's no picking and choosing what's right for you. All of Emergency's formulas use targeted ingredients that clean, tighten, purify, detox, soothe, hydrate, and smooth all skin types, including visibly problematic skin. Emergency has regulated my skin, improved its hydration and elasticity, and helped me fight the signs of aging and sun damage while improving my overall skin tone and texture. And it keeps me protected from future environmental aggressors too. And you can feel even better with their one-of-a-kind initiatives like the Buy One, Plant One tree planting program, their innovative Emerging Bees Bee Habitat initiative, and Emerging Seeds. That's their organic vegetable program. Emergency is continually setting an industry-leading precedent for environmental initiatives and new technologies to ensure that no matter your environment, the best of you keeps emerging too. Go to emergency.com, that's E-M-E-R-G-I-N-C.com, and get on your way to nourished and rejuvenated skin today. Let's talk about nature. Let's talk about spending more time outside, like you said. I mean, I know that it has been 
it always has been it for me. I was a, you know, tomboy growing up and I grew up in the, you know, in the Hudson Valley region. I was outdoors my whole life. And then I got into fashion. I moved to New York city and I literally left. I'm an mm. avid skier. I kind of turned my back on it all. And I was in stilettos and high heels and at Gucci and, you know, and when I found it again, when I found what was my true self in, in the outdoors, I realized how important it is. And then the science started coming out too, forest bathing and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, of course you feel better in there. There's better oxygen and you know, the dopamine is real. And so let's talk a little bit about your, what you find in your peace in nature and what's making you tick and what are some of your favorite things? (laughs) Yeah. So for me, what makes me tick is, and in two weeks I'll be able to do it again. I haven't been able to run for three months. So I love to trail run and I live in Boulder County and right now it's, we had a dumped up snow that is slowly yes, melting. Yeah. But getting up and trail running and working my ass off up those trails, I'm slow. Um, you know, I started running at 53, but that, that makes that, that gives me a lot of pleasure. And I think what happens for me is working really hard to get up the mountain calms my brain down. And then, yes. you know, then I'll, I'll often find a place to sit in silence kind of off the trail behind a rock that, that getting outside, reconnecting with my animal nature. Me too. It's so important. And I think that people are uncomfortable sitting alone in silence. You know, our thoughts run, our heads get away from us and stuff like that. And so, you know, you've got, you, I just have to ask if you need to do coaching and you have retreats and there's, you guys will, you know, get to Google her and find all those things out. But how do you help someone through that? You know what I mean? Is it through like a community, like your Oasis group? Like how do we pull ourselves out of that sort of thing? Yeah, that's part of why I do the Oasis is to, is to teach people, again, that word incremental, you know, a little bit every week. How do you come back to yourself? Because I think that's the deep definition of self-care that I came to. What helps you come back to yourself and stay on your own side? And is it five minutes of drinking your coffee really mindfully? Or is it really getting to show up with a friend and drop your agenda of what you're going to say and really listen to her? Is it reading fiction? That's a big thing for me too. What is it that really brings you back to yourself and helps you stay on your own side? I've never heard someone say that and it is so resonating with me right now. Show up and stay on your own side. Yeah. And come back to yourself because things are always, you know, your patterns get triggered, your emotions get triggered, your brain chemistry gets triggered and you're gone, you know, and that don't pathologize that. That's what it means to be human. But what brings you back? What are the practices? What are the people? What are the touchstones that bring you back? And you don't need a lot, but you need ones that really feel good and that are so small that then they open a door that then you can build on. So Oasis, just for those of you, it's it's (laughs) your online community and you have over 600 members, I think right now, Mm -hmm. and it is a membership fee and that sort of thing, but you Mm -hmm. guys should look for it. But how can maybe listeners create a community on their own if they're, you know, they can't afford a membership or something like that? Well, I think, you know, look for people that that brighten your heart. Look for people and it doesn't have to be big. I mean, I'm an introvert. I don't want a giant community of people. Um, look for ways and the people who, and, and reach out, make an offer, right? How often do we, we don't reach out to the person who brightens our heart. We don't look at, we don't reach out to the person whose work we think is interesting that we might want to be in a mastermind with, right? Yes. And so you got to put yourself out there. You got to make, you got to make That's some right. bridges and you got to nurture those connections. 
That's right. A hundred percent. Okay. So what are some of um, your favorite things right now? Is there anything that, you know, you've been, you've drinking or reading you know, or smoking? Yeah. <laughs> um, I love my hydro flats oh, yes, that I have too. my water in every day. That's yes. pretty much what I think about the thing that's next to me. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, I'm a big coffee person. That latte in the morning is pretty darn exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things. I love it. Well, finding our freedoms are different for so many people. And, and I think they change. Like you said, you said, one of the things you said is I change my opinions in mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And I love that because you're influenced by something that's made you think differently or see something differently. And I think that's good. We used to look at the politician, well, it changed his mind. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, so, so- uh, that's a sign yeah. that I'm a thinking person. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. So that's, I love you for that because that's what I do too. Because when I'm, when I'm encouraged to, because I see Mm -hmm. things through a different lens and Mm -hmm. always have those glasses on to look through all kinds of lenses, it just enriches us so much, but I digress. So how do you find your freedom? What does it mean to you? Um, I'll bring up trail running again. There's something so incredibly playful and fun going down a mountain, not going up, but going down. And there, the moments are few and far between, but when I can be, when it's a smooth single track, there's no rocks and I'm there and I'm in my body and I'm paying attention. And for me, I'm going fast, not, not for anybody else. That's really fine freedom. And I'm learning to try to find freedom. I'm not there yet in really being honest being more honest with my friendships. I had a real ugly thing happen last year where a friend betrayed me in a weird way. And I was dishonest about it and how it affected me. And then it just got worse and worse. And then I just dug a big hole because I wasn't saying not okay. Right. End of story. Not okay. I kept trying to obfuscate with, you know, spiritual language. So that's, that's another thing that I'm working on for my freedom. So Jennifer, it's been such a pleasure. So where can my listeners find you if they don't already follow you? JenniferLoudon.com. And you can get the first chapter of Why Bother There for free. <laughs> oh my God. And you can look at all of her books. They're incredible. One, you know, just so enlightening. And so it's such an evolution, really. You yes, know? very much so. And I think it's so wonderful. So thank you so much to Jennifer Loudon. This is In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Please be sure to follow along at I Am Heather T and send me any questions. Don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast and join us next week for another episode. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. My next question is from at Cheryl Clasher, and Cheryl asks, Hi, Heather, where about in Scotland did your dad come from? I love seeing people with the same heritage on TV. Oh, Cheryl, well, that's so great. I love that you come all the way from Scotland with your question. And my dad comes from Edinburgh. He came from Edinburgh, Scotland to New York City when he was um, 18 or 19 years old to beat my grandmother who had already come here a few months prior. And my grandmother, Elizabeth Duncan Linton Thompson, she was a nurse and she was working in Manhattan for Billie Holiday, in fact. And she sent for my dad and he came over as a young man and he um, was drafted pretty much immediately when he got here and um, was drafted into the Korean War. And that's how he got his citizenship. He was always very proud to be 
an American citizen, but he had such a deep love for his country. So lots of love to Scotland and thanks so much for the question. In My Heart is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson, Karen Silverstein, and Heather Thompson. The show is edited by Maureen Vigas. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Heather T. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.